Bible study where tonight we're beginning a new study in the book of Hosea. Now you might be asking yourself, why are we studying the book of Hosea? Since it was written about 750 years before Jesus was born, boy, this seems kind of like, uh, this isn't very pertinent to today. Uh, actually it is. When we get into this, you will see very many um, parallels to the life in which we live. You know why? Because we've been messed up since, since Adam and Eve goofed up in the garden. So we're all the same. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so now what we're seeing in the book of Hosea, which I, I got on the other day and I said, boy, you know, this, this is good because it really talks about Israel's uh, unfaithfulness. Now, again, Hosea was written about 750 B.C. Uh, Hosea means salvation or he has helped or delivered. Uh, he is the first of what's uh, commonly known as the minor prophets. Uh, I like this here. Here's a quote about the minor prophets that they're brief in words, mighty in meaning. I like that. So not that minor. Okay. Uh, written mostly in a poetic style. Uh, why would you write, have something written in poetic style? Remember, this is all God breathed. Why would God say to Hosea a number of things that he's going to say to him? But we're going to say, why would you say that? Got a fly. It's, we got the Chino City bird coming in. Flies around this joint. Anyway, uh, where did I go? I got, uh, oh, okay, the poetic style. Okay, think about this. Um, since the advent of radio, which I think all of us, uh, that was it, it what's invented before we were on the planet, uh, we you know, hear songs going along, right? And so what happens? It's, it comes about. You know the lyrics of this words. Uh, Jim Morrison considered himself a poet. So then you think about all the door songs, good or bad. You probably got some, some of the lyrics running through your head just because I noticed it, right? Just mentioned it, I'm sorry. Uh, same thing, Book of Psalms. All, they're all songs that were done in a poetic style. It's a good way to remember things. Uh, the uh, faith uh, tradition that I grew up in, we chanted the Psalms in the morning, right? An easy way, boy, is a great way to learn these things. Because it just keeps going. And so this is probably the reason for this being in a poetic style is because the Hebrews that this was written to, remember this is Old Testament, that all this stuff would be repetitive and it'd be easier to remember being in a poetic style. Again, uh, this book speaks mostly to Israel's unfaithfulness. I think that the vast majority of us in the sound of my voice have uh, either had somebody cheat on them or been the one who cheated on somebody else, either the cheatee or the cheetor. And I think we can uh, identify with that, uh, that it's very hurtful, that it's heartbreaking. Well, guess what? God doesn't like us cheating on him either. And the uh, Israelites were being pretty unfaithful at this time. So with that, brief introduction. Let's open with prayer and then see what God has for us. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, wonderful day again that you have provided for us. Uh, you know, Lord, 
we love you and we need you and we desire to be closer to you in everything that we do. And that's why we're studying your word. So, Lord, please open our hearts and our minds to your word. And always, as always, keep me out of the way. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so it begins. Chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Berai, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel in the house of Jehu, and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. It shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah. We'll take them by their, the Lord their God. Pardon me. We'll save them by the Lord their God. And we'll not save them by bow, nor by sword, or battle, by horses or horsemen. Now when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bore another son. son. And then God said... Call his name Lo Amai, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass, in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there it shall be said to them, You are sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land. For great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. Okay, that's where we're going to stop. Okay, starts off again. Uh, the word of the Lord came to Hosiah, the son of Berai, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel. Why do we have all of this going on? Well, pretty much what it does, it speaks of who Hosea was, again, the son of Berai, and the time in which this book was written. Okay. Hosea began his ministry at a time when things were so politically successful and economically prosperous that the people just didn't look to the Lord the way they should. 
the seeds of idolatry, spiritual failure, and moral corruption sown, sown in the days of Jeroboam II produced a tragic harvest in the following years. In other words, we see this over and over again in the Old Testament, and it happens in our country, is that here we have the children of Israel saying, God, you are our God, and we will follow you. And what does God do? God blesses them. And then they continue on, and things are growing really good, going real good. And then they think a whole lot of themselves. They think that they're pretty hot stuff, and they don't need God, and they turn their back on God. And it takes a while before all this catches up. Uh, again, you can see where it's a lot like it is today, not only in our country, but in our world. Uh, here's something that a guy gave me some years ago that's pretty interesting. It says, the life cycles of nations starts off bondage, spiritual faith, great courage, liberty, abundance, complacency, apathy, dependency, and back to bondage. So when you have this spiritual faith, right, and great courage, and you have liberty, and you get abundance, then you get thinking you're pretty hot stuff, and you get complacent, and you get apathetic, and then you become in bondage again. Okay, now, verse 2 says, When the Lord began to speak to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. That seems pretty strange. <laughs> Why would God have Hosea marry a known prostitute? Well, he goes on to say, For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. This is a pretty hefty object lesson that Hosea has to use. Okay, most guys like me that preach God's Word are always looking for sermon illustrations. Fortunately for guys like me, God has allowed me to go through a lot of stupid things so I don't have to look very far for sermon illustrations. I can just look into the dumb things I've done. Okay, well, here's what's happening with Hosea. Now he'll be able to Obviously, you know, okay, it's back to, you go to counseling, right? If you go to counseling uh, because you've been divorced, it's kind of tough to have somebody who hasn't been through a divorce counsel you. I know that's, it, it, but it just kind of works that way. It works that way for drugs and all alcohol and stuff. People who have gone through certain things have, have a sense of what others are going through, and they're able to do a better job of counseling. Okay, so here's God having Hosea marry a known prostitute because the nation of Israel had turned on its back and gone to foreign gods. In other words, prostituted themselves with foreign gods. Most uh, specifically Baal, or Baal as I grew up uh, knowing, uh, which was pretty familiar. Well, okay. Uh, King Ahab, who married... Uh, Jezebel, right? We hear that terrible name, and she's a Jezebel. Well, she was pretty bad, and she was a prophetess of Baal, and she turned Ahab away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to Baal. 
one of the things that they did with, with the Baal worshipers, like most of the other uh, pagan religions, temple prostitution. So it, it kind of it seems like a real good idea for a lot of guys. Oh, hey, I like this religion. This is, this is pretty neat. Uh, shows how debased we get. Okay, now, verse 3, it says, So he went and took Gomer, uh, the daughter of Diplaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Again, uh, she was a known prostitute who... Uh, didn't give up her career for a very long time, it, uh, for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> she didn't give up her career. She gave it up for a short period of time. Here's what David Guzik says about it. No doubt this happened after the pattern of human nature. When Hosea and Gomer first married, she probably promised eternal love and devotion, right? She probably showed every sign of being committed to Hosea. But after a while, possibly in difficult circumstances, she fell back into prostitution. Perhaps it was out of a sense of need or is out of a sense of boredom or feeling of neglect. Whatever the deal was, uh, that's what she did. And sadly, uh, as, as he puts it, we share the same inexcusable reasons for our idolatry when we prefer another God to the the Lord our God. Oh, we don't do that. We don't, we don't worship other gods. We don't have idols. Uh, well, one thing is pretty big right now, and it's worldwide. Uh, it was called, in oh, it started in the 80s being called New Age, which really isn't, which is uh, neo-paganism, which is where you worship the created as opposed to the Creator. This is something that Romans chapter 125 mentions. People giving up worshiping the Creator for worshiping the created. Another thing we can have, okay, if you want to talk about idols, how about these things? Okay, this is pretty neat. But if it got between me and my relationship with God, this is an idol. Now, uh, years ago, I stuffed my, my 55 in a guardrail really hard, okay? And everybody's heard, probably heard this story. That's why I have the nickname Guardrail Willie. Thank you, Rod Bauman. Anyway, uh, when I whacked it hard, came to a stop, and I felt around. Nothing was broken or anything like this. I got out, looked at the front of the car, really bad. But I didn't jump up and down and throw a temper tantrum or anything like that. I probably would have 20 years prior if I had done the same thing, because it would have been unfair. This time, when I whacked it in June of 1997, I said, thank you, Lord, I'm okay. If car can get fixed, it get fixed. There is a difference, because there are times we put too much, put too much uh, emphasis on our, on our toys, our houses, our spouse or whatever the deal is if it comes between you and god that is an idol period okay now gomer isn't that a terrible name to have to use for a while you know if you think of jim neighbors <laughs> and it's it's just pretty tough it, it is oh well that, that such is life okay uh gomer uh conceived and bore 
um, Hosea, our hero, a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, said to him, call his name Jezreel, uh, which means uh, God plants or uh, it means scatters. Okay, like scattering seed. This is what Jezreel means. Okay. For in a while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. What's the house of Jehu? Well, Jeroboam II, where all this stuff, we had all this great political stuff going on, all this prosperity, and we turned our backs on God under Jeroboam II. Okay, so God is saying, I'm going to avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. Again, in the lineage there, okay. And bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. It shall come to pass in that day. I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Break the bow. What does that mean? Well, what that's referring to is power. The bow is a symbol of power. And God says, I have to take it out. These guys are going to be powerless when I get through with them. Then again, she conceives again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, name her lo ru which means not loved. How would you like, ladies, how would you like to have a name not loved? Pretty tough deal, but that was the name. It says, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. And yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah. Now, what's the difference here? Okay. Judah from the south, Israel from the north. These two kingdoms, they had a, well, what ended up happening is a civil war and they broke off into two kingdoms. Again, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And what was their big deal in the civil war? Mostly concerning power. Gee, <laughs> you know, it's like... Power's another idol. Boy, you know, you get these guys are so darn powerful. Uh, we haven't seen any of that in the political realm in recent years, have we? Uh, this stuff, written 750 years before Jesus was born, is still pertinent to today. Okay, now, and it says here, again, Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah, will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by the bow, nor by the sword, nor battle, by horses or horsemen, not by the power of man. Okay? Period. Not by the power of man. Which means, all of us here, and you and I, are not saved by our own works. Right? We are saved solely through the mercy of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ coming to pay the price for our sins. Not what we can do. Not by the bow. Not by our own power. Okay, verse 8. Now when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bore another son. Then God said, call his name Lo-Amai. Which means, for you are not my people. This is for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Now, is that God punishing people? No, it's just the fact. Okay, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, He's not your God. That's that's just just the fact. If you don't believe in God, He's that's it. He's not your God. You do, then He is. 
Just not punishment, just statement of fact. Verse 10 says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea. This is recalling God's promise to Abraham back in Genesis. Okay. And he said, Did you go out there and you try and count how many stars and maybe see how many uh, grains of sand are on the ocean there? Then you can figure out how many descendants you're going to have. Okay which cannot be measured or numbered, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you're not my people. God is a forgiving God. People who turn their back on God, they're not sent off to purgatory, they're not sent off to hell or anything like that. They have the opportunity to return to the Lord, which gives a lot of us who have friends and loved ones who have turned their backs on the Lord some hope. They have the opportunity to return. Last breath. Or as soon as that the brain function goes on a little bit longer than last breath. They have that opportunity to surrender. Okay. So, it will be said to them, uh, You are the sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together. Okay, the two, the two uh, north and south kingdoms will be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, namely Jesus Christ, and they shall come out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Which this is drawing together the nations, all the nations and all the tribes under the headship, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, Ephesians 2, verses 14 and through 16 puts it this way. For he himself is our peace who has made both one, has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinance as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace that he, namely Jesus, might reconcile them both, that's Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Isn't that great? And it finishes up this way. It says, Say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. And that's what we all desire. It is not what we deserve, but that's what we desire. Now, I, I have to say, uh, recently I was asked... Whether or not we are, I think we are, in the end times. And the answer is yes. Now, coming from the faith tradition that I grew up in, it was taught that we have been in the end times since 70 A.D. when the desecration of the temple in Jerusalem happened. No stone left on another, right? And this is what happened, just as was said in Scripture. But I would be remiss if I didn't see that things are getting a little bit more wonky than ever. In other words, we are closer now to Jesus' return than we ever have been before. If, if, I, were, if, I, if I didn't say that, I would be having my eyes covered and not paying attention to what's going on. So... Coming from my faith tradition, Luther would say, what does this mean? Well, what it means is, and always has mean, is be prepared. 
Okay, be prepared to meet. You need to, if you have yet, to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. If you're not sure of your salvation, it is time to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, we need to be more open to share this wonderful news, the good news, the gospel, with a world that so desperately needs that today. It doesn't mean that you need to go sit on the street. I keep telling everybody, you don't stand on a street corner and you preach the word and beat people over the head of the Bible and saying, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're going to hell, which is a true statement, but that's not a winsome way to get somebody to come to know Jesus as their Savior. It's coming alongside of them. You know, people can look at you and say, well, you know, those Christian guys ain't so bad after all. If we don't allow ourselves to do stupid things. <laughs> this, quite honestly, this is a great responsibility because we as men, especially I think as hot rodders on, on a whole, uh, can be pretty quick to react. <laughs> Short fuse, whatever the deal is, we can be quick to react and we can also show that we are not uh, <laughs> very Christ-like. Uh, there's this one of those, here's one of those illustrations out of my past. Uh, I was uh, closing down the lid on a valve refacer. It was on a rollaway down at the shop and the whole thing, because I got upset. I slammed the lid down and the whole thing went ass over tea kettle. That's the way to put it. And I looked at a guy staring at me and I said, well, not only was that not very Christian, it wasn't very bright because <laughs> I had to clean up the mess I made. It is a big responsibility. Uh, don't beat yourself up though, because you're not perfect. Only one perfect man in this world, we crucified him. But uh, be ready, be ready to share the reason for the uh, assurance that you have of where you're going. And that's my prayer for everybody within the sound of my voice. And so uh, we'll close with an Arianic blessing, one that Aaron was directed to say. It says, uh, Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. <laughs>